Welcome to the Unscripted Podcast, where we chat with some of our pals and industry friends. I'm your host, Kevin Fuganaga. Today, I'm excited to have back on the show a manager and producer who worked at Village Roadshow and Appian Way before starting management production company Bellevue Productions, where he has set up projects at Warner Brothers, Fox, and New Line, among others. He's a Canadian, he's an NYU film school grad, and he's our pal, John Zauzerny. Let's talk to him right now. Yeah, so you've got a lot going on, and uh, let's we can just jump right in because I know that uh, you've had a lot of deals go down. You had Bellevue had four scripts on the blacklist this year. You had all kinds of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can just get started with uh, you know what's it been like making that transition to manager because this is really sort of your first full year as a manager slash producer rather than you know working in production primarily. Yeah, no, it's been fantastic. It's funny, I gave it, one of my clients, uh, Ian Shore, uh, who I worked with on the scripts, uh, Capsule and Christo, and who I manage now, um, he actually got married uh, a little while ago, and I gave a kind of impromptu speech at his wedding, and, one thing, and he was one of the people who encouraged me to become a manager, and I was saying how, you know, it's really been one of the best decisions of my life, and it's really, you know, it's, it's nice to find the thing that you feel like you're really good at, and I really enjoyed being a producer, and the great thing about being a manager is that you can be a producer or use those, those producer skill sets and work with, a client, work with your writers and not just be a one-off thing where it's like, hey, here's one script and then, you know, hopefully we'll work together down the road. It's like you can continue to work with those people and, and grow their careers and work with them on branding and kind of like take, making a great script, which I think is the first thing. is either working with them on a pre-existing great script they've already written or developing one together and then kind of helping develop their career. So you're going to take those producer kind of skill set that you have and you're able to kind of apply it on an ongoing basis basis rather than a kind of a one-time deal, which is usually the kind of situation with producers. You know, you may develop one project and then maybe you work with the writer again, maybe you don't, but you don't certainly are not involved with their li- on their life on a day-to-day basis the way that you are as a manager. And it's just felt like a natural transition. It's been a, and honestly, I love it. It's, it's, it's fantastic. It's all, I think one of the biggest highs you kind of have is, you know, finding a really talented writer kind of early in their career and helping kind of break them, get them an agent, get them, get their script set up, maybe get them on the blacklist, get them a great round of meetings. And it's, you know, it's kind of happening right now with one of my clients who's in town. And, you know, we, we met up like, I don't know, like first met up like almost a, year, a little under a year ago, developed a script together and took it out, you know, got him a great agent, one of my favorite agents in town, and then took it out. And he's been, you know, he's only, he doesn't live in Los Angeles. He's only been in town for a week, uh, only in, in town for a week, I should say, but he's doing a zillion kind of general meetings. And it's been great to see him kind of go from just a person that I met off the blacklist.com to becoming this guy who's meeting at Imagine and meeting at Universal and meeting at Sony and, you know, kind of really get into the mix within, you know, space of less than a year. Wow. So you've actually signed a client off of the blacklist. Yeah, yeah. I think I found, I've definitely, I, I definitely found him, well, I, I, so he'd written a script uh, that I really liked. It was about hockey. And so I decided, being Canadian, of course, right. I was inter- interested in that. And so I read it, and I really liked it. I thought the writing was excellent. He happened to be in town. He lives in North Carolina. He happened to be in town. We met up. We hit it off. I didn't have an idea at the time. And then I had an idea 
about a month later, and I pitched him the idea, and he really liked it, and so we started developing it, and we developed it, got, got it to a great place, and then took it out, you know, found him a great agent. We actually had a few agencies wanted to sign him, which is always great, mm-hmm. and decided to go with one agent in particular, and took it out, and the reaction, we ended up selling it, which we kind of knew was a, was, was a long shot. It was kind of more of a, just a really fascinating kind of, uh, you know, topic that we felt wasn't commercial, but we knew that people would want to read, and got him a great agent, and got him meetings all over town. So, and we're just, and we're already working on the next thing. So, you know, it's kind of one of those nice things where you read a script, and, you know, more often than not, you read a script, and you're all like, oh, this is an amazing script. I can sell this for infinity dollars. You're more like, oh, this is a talented writer. I want to get to know this person. I want to find something with them. So, yeah, I found, come on, Blacklist. I don't know. I think I actually have found other clients through the Blacklist.com as well. You know, I, I think it's, it's certainly the, you know, one of the best resources out there. Yeah, well, I mean, we ask that of a lot of different managers, and uh, yet it, a lot of people use it as a resource, but it's hard to find people that have actually done it, so you are really uh, stretching out there and, and you know, uh, doing whatever you can to find great writing, and I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, you know, any way anyway, you can find a good writer, whether, you know, I had some clients who were another writer that I knew, and they're like, oh, my wife's friend's husband, you know, or you get to that, or sometimes you get through an executive, or, you know, whatever whatever, whatever way that gets you writing, you know, I try to be open to all avenues. I've, you know, started working with people off of query letters, you know, like, it's, you know, any, any avenue that gets you a great script, I'm very open to. That's great. You're relatively new to the management game. What are, what are some of the things you found works? Uh, what are some of the things you haven't? Well, you know, what have you learned as a manager this year? I think what I've really learned as a manager is, you know, is, is first, you know, it's about that first great script, and then kind of figuring out where where you go after that great next script. What you know, how do you transition that to paid work if the script didn't sell? How do you kind of map out a career for your writer? You know, how where I think that's one thing I've definitely learned over the last year and a half is, you know, you want to you set your writer off, you kind of launch them with that first script into the world, but then you know it's equally hard kind of doing the follow up and being like, okay, now that they're in the world, how do we follow up even if the script that sells or it's scripts that people really like, what's the next step? Do we try to transition them towards TV? Do we, you know, I have one client who kind of transitioned to TV. I have one, didn't transition, but moved in, you know, started writing on, on TV show. I have one client who is, you know, about to direct, have their directorial debut this summer. And so there's a lot of different avenues, and I think you have to work with the client and also look at the marketplace and be like, how do we stay you know, quote unquote, on brand. You know, how do we how do we kind of work, continue working towards what you want your goal to be? And I think you have to be realistic with your clients and sometimes be like, okay, you know, because you know, I think a lot of people think that like they get a script on the blacklist or they sell a script and then automatically they're making a living as a writer. And the truth is, it takes a long time to kind of it's a marathon, you know, not a sprint. And thing that's one thing you have to be very realistic with your client, and they have to be realistic. And also, you kind of always have to be open to a lot of different opportunities and, and kind of always hustling. And so I think those are the clients that I really respond to are people, you know, and there were, and I think all, you know, all my clients fit into this category, which is, you know, people who are always hustling, always making their own opportunities, always, you know, trying to figure out what the next thing is because you can't kind of rest on your laurels because the industry moves very fast. And a script that might have been acclaimed six months ago, six months later people are like, oh, yeah, I read that. What's, what's going what's, what's next, essentially? Right. It's always what else do you have? Yeah, I mean, like, I was, one of my, my clients is doing the, doing the generals right now. I was like, look, the meetings occur for one of two, re- for two reasons, essentially. The first reason is, 
I guess three, actually. The first reason is to get to know you. And, to, and having read your script and liked your script, they want to meet with you and be like, oh, is this person a crazy person? You know, is this someone that I could work with on a project for years? Because, you know, sometimes these projects take years. So that's the first thing. Uh, kind of pass the are, is, are they crazy, crazy test. And then the second kind of thing they're meeting with you for is, if they're not crazy, is there anything that I am looking for a writer on that I can, you know, that they might be a good fit for? Do I have an article or a book or an idea that they might be the right writer for? Like, in terms of what are their tastes? What are they looking for? What do they, what do they like to write, you know? Right. Both can there and me like, oh, well, we both really like X. Oh, well, I have this idea about X. You know, let's do it. And then the third thing is, is also like, Okay, so now that I've met you, what do you have next, and how do I stick a claim to that thing if it sounds like an interesting idea, essentially, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do I track it, essentially? You know, kind of tracking is a term that execs use for when they hear a good idea, they check in with the manager or the writer or whoever every, you know, month or so or a few weeks till I'd be like, so what's going on with that? So what's going on? So they can be the first person in, uh, to get it, essentially, when it's wow, ready. Absolutely. Information is king. Um, yes. Well, when you, you just mentioned you like writers who make their own opportunities. Uh, yes. What do you mean by that specifically, and how do newer writers do that? I mean, what's the best way for them to get out there and, and, and find their own or make their own opportunities? I think, you know, I, I don't necessarily mean, because there are some writers who do this who are always networking and always like, oh, I met so-and-so, I did so-and-so, I emailed so-and-so directly. Not necessarily that. I guess what I kind of mean by that is, Always be thinking of new ideas and always be like, hey, you know, this idea might be a great web series. This great idea might be a great um, TV show. This idea might be a great this or that, you know. And I think being aware of different ways and kind of being a generating, a self-generating font of ideas, essentially, you know, um, and not just waiting for people to kind of walk in and be like, here's an assignment. Here's, you know, here's the check, essentially, because it just happens so rarely. I think what you have to be doing is kind of, while you obviously, hopefully those things do occur, you're also being like, I have three or four ideas on the go. I'm, you know, I, you know, I, I met this exec once and I'm like, I'm going to, he mentioned this thing, I'm going to try and follow it up with that idea. You know, I'm, I'm going to be like, oh, you like that thing? Well, here's this thing I've been working on, you know. In terms of that, in terms of not just sitting and like waiting for their reps to kind of bring them opportunities on a silver platter, they're kind of taking, they're A, generating their own ideas, and B, taking advantage of any meetings that they've had to kind of be like, oh, I know that Imagine is looking for this kind of thing. Well, I should develop a project. I have this thing geared towards that, you know, and kind of self-generating in a sense, you know? Right. You had just mentioned also web series. And I know a lot of writers who have a script or have uh, a pilot or something often look for other ways to sort of generate interest, whether it be a graphic novel, whether it be a web series, whether it be uh, adapting to something else. Uh, how effective is that, and, and what do you advise writers if they... I don't actually personally... Mm-hmm. I, maybe when I said web series, I guess, you know, we just did a client who sold a web series to uh, an existing kind of uh, channel, as it were, you know? Um, and so that's kind of what I meant more. I don't personally... If you're trying to get a, 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 the attention of an agent or a manager, don't go make a web series. Don't go shoot your own pilot. Don't go turn into a graphic novel. Just write a great script, and, and people will take it from there. And if people aren't responding to it, then I don't necessarily think that what you want to do is like, oh, I'll turn into a video game or I'll turn into this or that. I don't think that's going to change the score. I guess what I meant by web series is if you're like, if you're a client of mine and you 
have a great idea for a web series, then I know people who are at companies that finance web series, you know, mm-hmm. and we could go and we could bring it to them, essentially, as opposed to, I think, kind of like making your own thing. You know, there are cases like there's a great show called High Maintenance. I think it's not going to be on HBO. Broad City came out of a web series. But a lot of those web series are more performer-driven, where it's like a performer star, like in Broad City, for example, you know, or the Lonely Island guys, you know. Um, I think it's definitely a little bit more of a comedy thing, which is not, I had to have comedy clients, but it's not 100% my forte. Um, But, you know, to be fair, like one of my clients uh, is a star on this um, app called the List app, which BJ Nova uh, uh, co-created, and he, you know, is awesome, and he, he, he was part of the live show, and he's hilarious, and he's gotten, you know, I think he knows a lot of really great people through that, but to be fair, the thing that first attracted me was just, a, a, you know, a script that he'd written, you know, right. um, and so it wasn't like I, I mean, there, there are situations where you'll, I was just talking to another rap about manager about this, you know, where you'll watch a funny ad or you'll read a funny blog and read, like that's how Diablo Cody was found, you know. But I think more often than not, the, the, even if they read something funny, the first thing they're going to be like, oh, do you have a great script? And I just think nowadays that's where you should focus most of your energies towards is that rather than, you know, having been in film school, I know it's just to make a web series, to make anything kind of physical is a great expenditure of time and money and you'd be better off you know, I, I remember when I was in film school, I was like, well, I can either direct my own movie or I could write a script. If I direct my own movie and I don't really want to be a director, that's going to cost me, you know, thousands of dollars. Or I could just write a script and that script might make me some money down the road and will cost me nothing but time, right. essentially. Um, and so I, I think that I'm not a big advocate for the graphic novel, the web series, or whatever. I'm an advocate for down the road once you have a uh, rep being like, hey, by the way, I had this idea. I think it'd be well suited for this format. But I'm not personally an advocate for, oh, no one wants to read my screenplay. Okay, cool. I'll just turn it to a web series. Right. If nobody wants to read your screenplay, I don't, I don't think that personally that's a great art, you know, advertisement for why you should turn it into something too. Another thing, it's probably you should take the hint and be like, maybe I should just write a different screenplay. Yeah, and use the energy that uh, you put into the graphic novel or the whatever into writing another screenplay, writing another. Absolutely. By the way, that'll be much less effort <laughs> than having like do a whole. Because then you just kind of you're you're doubling. And there are people out there I think who have like one idea or two ideas, and they're like, "This is the gold mine." And you know, the 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 truth is that rarely is the case. You know, because whatever idea that you tend to think is like a gold mine, I assure you, people have already been pitched it twenty times, right. and it's probably more about execution. Um, and so I would, I would caution people from doubling down on one idea. I would, I would really encourage them to write as many different ideas as possible. If you, you know, if you read up about a bunch, a bunch of screenplay, screenwriters, more often than not, they had you know, written four or five screenplays before the one that kind of hit. And by the way, it doesn't mean the other four screenplays are like gold and they're sitting on the shelf. That rarely occurs. What it more means is that they had to write those many screenplays to kind of get to a situation where their writing was good enough and their ideas were good enough. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, in terms of, I know so many more writers who uh, write, get signed based on a great spec. Even if that spec doesn't sell, it gets them the meetings, and then eventually they are able to sell something or uh, get hired to write something. But very rarely mm-hmm. does that first spec, that the, even the one that got them signed, it often doesn't lead to a sale for that individual thing. I mean, it does happen, but it's far it, it, more it, it, common. It's pretty, I always tell my writers, this is what I tell them, you know, each script has a different job, theoretically. You know, like some, and this, this is, 
Although it's sometimes a hard lesson, I think, for writers and you know some 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 potential clients I, I met with, and I said, hey, I like your script, but I don't think I can sell it, and so I'd rather work with something on new. And they decide to go with someone else who I think was like, no, your script is great. Let's stick it out. We're going to sell it, you know. And so you know, I try to be honest, and maybe I'm wrong, you know. Uh, but I think I try to be honest and be like, look, your script's job was to get you in the room with me and maybe to get you an agent, but it's not going to sell. I just I know I, you know, or at least I, I I only try to sell what I feel like I can sell. That doesn't mean I know everything, but I'm certainly not going to blow smoke and be like, oh, yeah, we can sell this. Well, I know in my heart we can't. Um, but, yeah, more often not the job the script is, you know, take, take the script that, that my client is right now doing general meetings on. We, we were like 90, 95% sure the script would never sell because there's built-in kind of inherent uh, logistical and legal issues. But we knew that everyone in town would want to read it. So that script did its job, which is it got him a great agent. It got him meetings all over town, including, you know, major, you know, most of the major studios, and, you know, it got, it did, that was a job that it was, it was there, and, you know, maybe it's in the blacklist this year, maybe not, but it did its job, you know, and that was the job that we designed it for, and so I think you want to look at each script as doing a job, you know, for you, and like, what is this script accomplished in being, I think, you know, trying to write the script that's going to sell for a zillion dollars can, you know, be a home run swing, it's like taking every pitch and be like, I'm swinging for the fences, more often than not, you're going to, you know, pop fly out. Whereas I think if you're more direct and, you, you know, to, to, to tire out the baseball metaphor, if the scripted job is to get you into first base or second base, that's still, that's still better than striking out, you know, and it's, you're still somewhere, you're still closer to getting to home run and making some money. And you're, or getting to home play, I should say. And you're on the field, right? And you're, you're I know, I know. It was just to drown this, uh, this baseball metaphor, beat it to death. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think each script has a different job. And there are, you know, there are just rare cases of people... You know, like, you know, one of the clients I just started working with, he had a couple scripts, and they got him a great agent, and they got him some managers that ended up not being right for him. The agent ended up being, you know, or it wasn't the right fit for the scripts that he was kind of going for. And he ended up working with me, and, you know, we just were sitting in the room, and we, we came up with something in the room that we're like, oh, this is the home run idea, which very, by the way, that I say that that rarely happens, you know, more often. I would say, you know, in terms of developing ideas that I think are slam-dunk commercial ones, it happens, you know, two to three times a year, where an idea walks in, you're like, oh, yeah, we can sell this for a lot of money, right. because it's so, the, the target is nowadays so narrow, but I think, you know, but those other scripts were to get him in the room, you know, and this other script that we're working on, we feel like we can go get him in a great agent or go back to his agents and be like, yeah, this is something cool. Or, you know, I had another client who had a script on the blacklist a couple of years ago, and he started working with some managers, and the managers, you know, tried to veer him towards writing this really commercial down the middle kind of stuff, and it just wasn't the right fit for him, just, you know, even though it was kind of, quote-unquote, seemingly on-brand, and so he ended up writing, he wrote a script, and it was, it was good, but it wasn't like, I think, his heart wasn't entirely in it, and so we kind of worked, we were workshopping on what, like, what are you excited about? Because if you're trying to shove, you know, a square peg into a round hole, it's not going to work out very well. So it's really about, you know, taking each script and being like, okay, where is this, where is it, where is this script going to take me? And just because it didn't sell for a million dollars doesn't mean it's a failure. Right, absolutely. And you, you said um, on brand. Uh, can you explain what that is? Sure. I would say that, like, let's say you write, um, let's say you're my client, Ian Shore, and you've written a lot of sci-fi stuff, a lot of sci-fi stuff, a lot of action, like, a lot of thriller kind of stuff. You know, he sold, he sold a script to, to, you know, Alicon that was like a kind of version of Strangers on the Train. The script that we sold to Warner Brothers was a sci-fi take on kind of Monte Cristo. We sold another script to Fox. Those kind of a grounded um, science fiction thriller, kind of in the vein of Limitless. 
And so if Ian was to turn around and be like, I'm writing a, a, a wacky comedy in the vein of Dumb and Dumber, that's not his brand. You know what I'm saying? I think anyone who read it be like, well, this is weird coming from Ian Shore. Um, and so I think he, and he actually was one of the first guys who, when we were talking, even before I was managed, he would talk about it. He's like, yeah, I don't know. That's really like what the town expects me what I'm, or what I'm good at, you know? Which I know, to, I mean, a lot of writers, it sounds like you're kind of being limited, but I would think if you look at a lot of the, you know, great writers and the great filmmakers, no one goes to John Logan and says, hey, John Logan, we want you to write a wacky comedy. Even though John Logan, you know, who wrote, you know, is an amazing writer, even though uh, that's just not what he's known for. The same way you wouldn't go to the Fairley Brothers and be like, hey, guys, we want you to write and direct a, you know, a taut thriller. It's not to say that they couldn't do that necessarily, but it would be, it'd be kind of surprising, you know? And, you know, sometimes it does happen. I think you can kind of earn your way to it, like someone like Adam McKay, who just, you know, wrote and directed The Big Short, which I think is kind of an outgrowth of his, a lot of his political interest. And, you know, if even if you look at the end of, like, The Other Guys, there's, like, a big thing about... Um, you know, kind of Wall Street right in the end credit. So it feels like a natural move for him. And now he's, you know, taking out a pitch with Jennifer Lawrence about, you know, uh, Silicon Valley and kind of IPOs and, like, you know, all that kind of stuff. So he's kind of shifted his brand to some degree or expanded it. So it can happen, but I think more often than not, you want to get really good at something and then start to move, you know, kind of away from it or, or in, in a slightly different direction. So just one thing, I think if you, I feel like this, if you've written three, you know, if you like, if I've read a script of yours and it was really good, it was a thriller, and then you're like, great, I've got another script for you, and it's a, oh, I don't know. I think the, you know, rant to comedy, I'd be like, well, that's a little weird because, like, I've read this thriller before, and I know you're good at that, but writing a romantic comedy is a very different set of muscles, you know? Right. Um, and so I think that's what I kind of mean by it. And, like, you know, so, you know, the writer that I'm working with right now, he wrote kind of this 80s um, biopic that's kind of grounded in real-life events, and we've got a really great response. And so the next thing we're working on is also, funnily enough, an 80s biopic that's grounded in real events, you know? It's different than the script that he wrote that got a lot of attention, but it's very much in the same vein. So people will be like, oh, that makes sense that he would write that. You know, he's establishing a niche as a very smart, research-based, kind of dramatic thriller writer, you know? Right. Yeah, a lot of newer writers, and we've had a lot of questions about it and, and people asking about it, they think that it's... They ask if it's good to have a wide variety of specs, a comedy, a thriller, a sci-fi. That way you can fill any gap that the, the rep is looking to fill. But in most cases, that's actually a turnoff because it shows that you don't know your own voice. You don't know what your strengths are. Absolutely. Nobody's good at 15 like different that. genres. Yeah, it's like you on a date with someone. And what's the worst thing you have? You're like, oh, what movies do you like? Or what music do you like? They're like, oh, I like everything. <laughs> what's your favorite movies? I don't, you know, I don't know everything. Right. It's like, well, okay, I don't really... Or someone's like, oh, my favorite movie of all time is Blade Runner. You know, I really dig that. You know, I'm like, oh, okay, that's it. I can work with that. That makes a little bit of you know, sense to me. So I think, like, the idea... Again, the, also, that you kind of spoke to you, like, I, I think people say this, like, oh, I won't want to try and be whatever they need me to be. Well, that doesn't really make it seem like you have a strong sense of what you want to be. Right. You know? Right. Um, and I think that's what people... Reps don't... We're not looking for someone who 
will be like, oh, well, I'll be whoever you want to be. No way, that's way too much work. What we want is someone who says, this is who I am, this is what I'm good at. And we can help you shape and be like, okay, well, what we, we, a little bit of this, or you focus a little more closely on this. We can help you shape it, but we, we don't want to invent someone of a whole cloth. What we want is someone who has a strong point of view and a strong voice, and we can help them develop that strong voice. So it's better to be someone who has a very clear idea of what they'd be good at. You'll make a lot more money by being really good at one or two things than trying to be, you know, being okay at like 10 different things. Right, right. Basically, you're not looking to make the jacket from scratch. You're just looking to bedazzle it a little bit, right? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to go with that bedazzling metaphor there, Kevin. <laughs> um, you've had, you guys had uh, four people on the blacklist this past year. Uh, what, happens, what happens next to a client? They have a script on the blacklist. Where do you go from there, and, and how does that affect how you sell them? But I don't know if do this, but once you're on the blacklist, yeah. they give you a hundred thousand dollars. Wow! Great. <laughs> yeah, I know that doesn't. Happen. Uh, not at all. I mean, like, look, the blacklist is great in the sense of I think kind of acting as almost a gatekeeper thing. Where if, if you've been on the blacklist, I think everyone is relatively aware of you, and it's really interesting. You know, a lot of my clients who are on the blacklist, they were kind of well known in the town before, which is obviously why they get voted onto blacklist. And then, like the six months since, it's like to get calls from kind of random people or like, oh, I read the script. You know, I heard about it. Like, you know, back in the blacklist, I never got around to reading it, and so. It kind of acts as this kind of it kind of diffuses out into a larger town, a larger industry where people kind of become aware of it. But I think the easiest thing is it kind of it's a gatekeeper phenomenon where people are like, oh, it's on the blacklist. Oh, I'll definitely give it a close read. So it kind of it makes our jobs easier, certainly. But what it doesn't do is automatically lead to riches and fame for anybody. What I think it does is it opens a door, and then you have to kind of make your most of what it is. So you know, some of my clients have gone on and gotten re, you know rewrite gigs through it, and then some of my clients have sold web series, and you know. They're in contention for gigs, and so I think what it does, it puts you in the conversation, um, and then you have to kind of go from that conversation and be like, okay, well, now that I'm in the conversation, what do I do with that, essentially? It kind of launches you to a little bit of the next level, but what you do from it is what you, is, you have to make of it what you can, and then... You know, bearing in mind that a year from down the road there's going to be another blacklist case, and so you're just going to be like a class, I should say. Then you're going to be like the guy with a black script that blacklist a couple of years ago. So you kind of have, have to really take advantage of that year or so and be like, okay, how do I kind of you know help launch myself? But I think it's it's you know, I, look, I used to work with Franklin's, and I have a great deal of admiration for him, both what he's done with blacklist, annual blacklist, and with the blacklist.com. I just think it's it's great. And so I think, but, you know, at the same hand, you know, and frankly would never imagine to be work this way, it doesn't automatically launch everybody to riches. You know, there's no way it could. I mean, at this point, I think hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of writers have been on it. But what it does is kind of gives you an opportunity. And so I think what you have to do is once you've been on the blacklist, be like, okay, do I want to shift into television? Okay, do I want to go and direct my own movie? Do I, what do I want to do? And it doesn't mean that, like, once you've been on the blacklist, be like, oh, here you go. Here's the keys to directing a movie. But you do have to be like, okay, word, it's, it's a version of what, any, what happens with anybody's career. It just has a little bit more high-profile aspect to it. But I think what it really does is it, it, it gives you a little bit of kind of momentum, and then what you do with the momentum is kind of up to you. Right. Um, and you had just mentioned TV, uh, and I wanted to sort of segue into that. That's something that we had talked about uh, before in terms of feature writing versus TV, the advantages, the disadvantages, what's easier, what's harder, and all that. And uh, you had, had offered a quote that it's technically easier, easier being sort of in quotes, to make it 
as a feature writer to get your start, but it's actually easier to sort of make a career out of a TV writer once you're in. Uh, I'm thinking yeah, I mean, what if, but yeah, yeah, I think the actual quote is like it's easier to break in. It's easier to break in. It's easier to break into film, but it's harder to kind of make a consistent living. It's harder to break into television, but it's easier to make a consistent living. And so what I mean by that is like. Let's say you write an amazing script, right? It's a great script, and you know, hooray, it gets bought and, and it, get, it gets made. Even you know, I think let's just stick with it gets bought. Essentially, right. then once it's got bought, that people are like, okay, cool. So what next? And by the way, let's you know, some writers are like, well, then I'm in the assignment game. Well, when you go for the assignment game, you're competing against ten other people. So imagine you're working on this pitch. And you're going for meeting after meeting after meeting, and you read the book, or you did all the work on it, and you prepared like an 18-page treatment, and you don't get it because you're one of like one of four, you know, four finalists, or you know, from like a 10-person and you know, first people they went to. And then, by the way, you've also worked on like, and then you on to the next assignment. You don't get that one. You probably get one out of every four or five assignments that you go up for, and that might even be, I might even being a little generous in that case. You know, uh -huh. and so you can eat up an entire year pitching on four or five assignments, none of which you get, by the way. And working, busting your ass, writing treatments, and doing all that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you're putting just as much effort into writing assignment work uh, and pitching for that stuff as you would into an original screenplay. Mm -hmm. You know, and so you can kind of burn through a lot of time, and then like a year later, two years later, that guy who sold a script like a year or two ago. You know, right? And so what now? You know, um, and you know, but the good thing for for feature for people trying to break into features is like nobody cares who you are. Only the only thing they care about is the script good. Right. You know, because that's the script itself acts as like a vessel that like they always make one of these things. You know, and so like and they can always bring on someone to rewrite you. You know, but breaking into TV is really really hard because you know no one. Rare is the case where they are going to make that, you know, spec pilot that you wrote, you know, because they want people who can get them to 80 episodes. They want people who can get to 100 episodes. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of fierce comp So you're going to want to get in a staff writer level. There's a very fierce competition to be a staff writer, whether it's competition from, you know, the, the showrunner's assistant or the script coordinator or the writer's assistant who have been on those shows who are like, I want to get that staff writer job or, you know, all that kind of stuff, and so everyone's competing for those same two or three staff writer jobs, and so it's really hard to break it in television. Once you've kind of broken it and you've done a couple of seasons and maybe you've been on a couple of shows that hopefully were successful, then I think there's all that person they worked on, you know, uh, Empire for a couple of seasons. Oh, great, they must be good because Empire is a good show and a successful show. I should hire them. And so it doesn't mean that you're on the gravy train forever, but it does mean that you're kind of in a situation where you're making consistent work and you're working on a weekly basis, whereas with features, it's like it can be like it's like winning the lottery. It's like, oh, congratulations, you made two hundred thousand dollars. That's great, and that's gonna have to make you you have to like live on that for the next two years, you know, which isn't right. terrible. Although once you subtract taxes and you subtract, you know, ten percent for an agent, ten percent for a manager, five percent for a lawyer, you're you know, it gets down to a much more reasonable number. Um, and so anyhow, um, you know, whereas. TV can be, like, look, there's other kind of nightmares in TV. You can be, you know, on a show that gets canceled after three episodes, you know, right. and suddenly you're out of work or, you know, you know, all that kind of stuff. There, there's a similar kind of, like, who knows what's going to happen. But there's kind of an ecosystem where you're once you're, I mean, you're still having to go up for jobs and all that kind of stuff, but you're kind of, 
you're at least you're kind of wired in a little bit. You know, it doesn't guarantee success, but there, I would say there's a higher rate of success, especially if you can, you know, if you're fortunate, you get on a show for two, two or three years, and especially if it's a show that, well, if it's a show has been on for two or three years, and it's a successful show, certainly. Um, but you know, once you're kind of in, that's that's a good thing. But it's very, very hard to break into television, you know. And you know, so when I'm talking to writers about it, you know, you you know, when I sat down with agents and we you know been talking about writer, TV agents and we're like, okay, we're going to try and get you into the staffing thing. You can be in the staffing mix for a year or two. It can take a while, maybe even three, to kind of get you that first job, you know, because it is so competitive. The thing with this, when they're buying a TV writer, they're buying you. Right. You, your personality, your work ethic. Because they're saying, okay, this person is going to be in the room from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. or whatever, or maybe longer, depending on the time of year. If you're a network show, you're doing 22 episodes, you're going to be there from, like, May until April? June, uh, I guess June, June, till, June till April, usually, or June till May, mm-hmm. you know? And depending on how long the show, how many episodes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right, right. But you're going to be in the room with that person. So they're saying, is this person reliable? Do I believe they can deliver? Because also when you're writing an episode, generally the show's already in production. And so if you tank your episode, man, they're going to, they're going to have to rewrite the whole thing in like two or three days because the train doesn't, doesn't come to a stop because, oh, so-and-so screwed up. Okay, we'll just put everyone on hiatus. Right. It doesn't go like that. No. The train is leaving the station. So they are buying you. Whereas when they buy your screenplay, they're buying your screenplay. And guess what? They can buy your screenplay and be like, you know what? Love your screenplay. Don't love you. We're going to hire someone else to rewrite it. And that's that. And they don't owe you anything. Right. When they buy a TV writer to work on staff, they're buying you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but what you had said about TV writing being something that is easier to stick around in, uh, what mm-hmm. I wanted to mention is because you're working in a writer's room with a bunch of other writers, uh, it's difficult to get in because they, it's difficult to trust people that they don't know. Um, it's a risk. But also, once you're in the sort of group, once they have trusted you, you have anywhere from six to 12 other writer-producers in that room who some of whom will go off onto other shows, other seasons, other this or that, develop their own shows, who now you have as a resource either can make a call for you and say, vouch for you as a, a, an individual and as a writer, and or bring you onto their shows. So it's it's this ever-growing that's, I mean, that, that's very well put, and that's completely true. I mean, you know, I was over... My client, one of my clients is working on a, on a CBS television show, and I went to visit him, and, you know, a bunch of the people working on that show all used to work together on another TV show, uh, you know, three or four of them, you know, and so you're like, oh, wow, the, the gang got back together, essentially, and so, you know, that, it was, it's, it's, I mean, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you want to work with your friends? Wouldn't you want to work with the people that, you know, what's, what's better than, you're like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm going to have to work with 12 people or eight, 10 people for the next year, oh, I'm going to hire the people that I know are good people, and then and also if someone recommends, like, oh, hey, you know, I recommend so-and-so, I work with them, they're great. Oh, yeah, okay, you take that for, that's, that really has real value. Right, absolutely. If you view it like that, yeah, like a party or something, you're having a party at your house, are you going to invite your friends? Of course. Are you going to invite your friends of your friends if they recommend? A party them? where you have to work together, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> Be there for a set number of hours and yell at each other. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, almost... On a very consistent basis, there's other than new staff writers, and oftentimes new staff writers, like you had mentioned, are former showrunners assistants or writers assistants who also have those sort of credentials, meaning they have the referrals. 
and or they've worked on that current show so that they know the backstory, they know where it's going, they know all the ins and outs uh, of the show, what it needs, what it doesn't, because they sit in on those meetings. Um, but staff writers, other than staff writers, almost all of those writers tend to be people that they know or they know of based on someone else. It's, it's interesting to see that. When you, when the more writers we talk to, TV writers especially, there's always that, almost always that connection to somebody that they knew to get a job. Yeah, because you imagine you're getting like a hundred scripts for one, yeah. for one or two shots. Who, how do you narrow it down? Right. You know, mm-hmm. how do you narrow that down? It's like getting resumes for a job. You're going to you get 100 resumes and like one or, you know, two or three of your friends recommend two, two or three people. Those are the two or three people you're probably going to take the most seriously. Right. You know, so, you know, what I tell potential clients and, and also my clients, I would say, is if you want to break into TV, so you, this is all what you're up against, you know, mm-hmm. These kind of, this kind of institutional situation of, of people hiring who they know and all kind of stuff. And, like, look, there are diversity initiatives and stuff like that, which is, which is great. Um, but I think it all boils down to the end of the day. I think you have to be a good writer, you know. Um, and so but what I tell my clients is you've got to write something that really breaks out of the pack. And not just as a good writing sample, but, like, conceptually. So you, I want you to come up with an idea that just, if I pitch to someone on the phone, they say, wow, that sounds cool, that sounds interesting, that sounds different. I haven't quite seen that before. So don't write something you think, oh, here's another cop show, here's another detective show, here's another lawyer show. Write something that you're like, wow, if I heard about that, I would want to. No one would ever make that show, but I'd love to read it. You know, like I always say, look at the Lord and Miller shows, look at Last Man on Earth, look at Son of Zorn, look at, uh, I think it's called Making History, the new show for Fox. Those shows are so concept and so fun that if someone pitched them to you, you'd be like, that sounds crazy. I want to see that show. And so you want to write something that breaks you out of the pack. Just on a con, because if you don't have those relationships, you don't have those connections, how do we sell you as managers and agents? How do we sell you? Well, if you write something that, you know, like there's a script that sold a few years ago uh, about a woman being kidnapped by Kim Jong-un and being taken to North Korea. It was, it was actually before the interview, before all that, all that kind of stuff. It was such a crazy script that everyone in town wanted to read it because it sounded completely fascinating. And so that's the kind of thing you want to write where you're like, wow, that sounds really different. That sounds really interesting. And that's how you get a showrunner to read it when they don't know you, when you don't have any credits, is your concept is so interesting, they got to read it because it sounds crazy. Yeah, it sounds interesting. If if you don't know someone, if you're not coming in pre-recommended, if you don't have great credits, the only thing you got going for you is your script. And if you're, and they're not going to want another script that reads like everything else on TV. They're going to, you're going to have to have your your script's going to have to do all the work for you. And really, what's going to do all the work for you is the concept. Is the concept really interesting? Is it an entertaining concept that sounds different than what they've ever read before or seen before? That's what'll get me to like pick up a script and be like, well, I got to read this because it sounds. Interesting. It sounds different. You know, it sounds, how, how are you going to pull this off? Right. I mean, imagine that you got pitched Mad Men 10 years ago or 15 years ago, whenever it was first written, when there was nothing on, 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 on television kind of like that. You know, an advertising agent in the 1960s, wow, that sounds really interesting. That sounds really different. Right. You know? Right. Um, now that we've shot down everyone's goals of making it in TV to start, and they're, they're all going to switch to features now to break in and shift over right. to TV or something. Um, so a, a writer has a, a unique, amazing, brilliant pilot. What other ways can they sort of stand out? Because, again, it is so difficult to sort of break into TV. What are some other 
advice you have if they're able to get that meeting or... I mean, we're talking meeting with a TV with a with a with a manager or meeting with a, with a with a TV you person. The showrunner, you're, if 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 it's one of your clients, for example. So they already have a have any. Yeah. Oh, what, what, what I do, um, you know, honestly, there's not a hell of a lot you can really tell them to do because you can't reinvent the wheel. Like if they, you know, used to be a cop and it's a cop show, well, that's helpful, but you know, you can't invent that. Essentially, I wouldn't tell people like go become a cop and then that'll be really good. <laughs> It'll help you in the room. It's like, well, if you're not a good writer, it doesn't really matter. Right. Um, you know, I just do the research on them, come in the room, be affable, be, uh, you know, the word that I always use is you be a good hang, you know, because you're, you're going to be in the room, you're going to want to be a good hang because they're going to have to deal with you for, you know, 10 months of the year. So be someone who has a point of view but is, like, not, you know, obnoxious about it. Be a person who seems cool, who seems like, you know, they would be an addition to the room. If it's a comedy room, be funny. You know, speak kind of about your experiences there. Maybe maybe prep some ideas for episodes, you know. Mm-hmm. Not a zillion, but like two or three that you actually really believe in, you know. Right. Um, you know, come and know their work, you know, and, and refer to that work, you know. And, and also know what the show is aiming for. And don't be critical, but be constructive, you know. Right. That's what I would say. Okay. Um, and talking about newer writers who aren't yet represented um, you had actually before we came on you had mentioned a funny story or I guess an anecdote-ish uh, about how some people will mention the podcast specifically your previous appearances in their initial contact with you or after the fact um, but what sort of advice would you have for those writers who are seeking representation and uh, Specifically for you, uh, what uh, what advice do you have for aspiring writers who are querying you or you've read their material already and are meeting them? What kind of advice would you have for them? Sure. Well, the first thing I would say is just for query letters, I did say this on previous podcasts, but I think people with selective hearing, <laughs> is just write the log line or sentence or two, and that's it. Right. And because some people will be like, I, I listen to script notes, or, you know, uh, not, sorry, not script. Um, they can listen to uh, your podcast. podcast too, but yeah. Uh, so that I always mess it up. I always mess up the tell. I listen to your podcast, Kevin. Um, you know, really liked it. I was like, oh, it's great. And then you see the rest of the letter, and it's like three pages long okay. with every description of everything that happens in their in their in their court in their in their script. And I really don't care. Really, really don't care. The only thing I care about in your query letter is what is your script about? Mm-hmm. What is the concept? That is everything else. I don't care about. Like, I went and I signed um, a client from SC a couple of years ago, and he sat down at, and he was getting ready to pitch me his whole, whole script. And I was like, so what's it about? And he gave me, like, the one or two sentence things. And he was like, okay, so we open on I was like, dude, I don't really care. What, I mean, like, I'm going to read your script, so, like, I don't, I can, I'll read, you don't have to pitch to me because I'm going to read it. So he just pitched me the log line, I said, I want to read it. And so then we just talked about him and what he, you know, how he, who, what his background was and what he wanted to do and all that kind of stuff. Because, like, uh, it, it's all a moot point. I don't really care what your background, I don't, like, I don't want to read your, your coverage version of your script. I'm just going to read the one or two sentence about it and then decide whether or not that sounds interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And that's it. You know, um, so I would people actually delete emails if they see a wall of text. If they don't see a log line in the first couple set, they delete and they yeah, and that's, that's what I would do too. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not delete them. I just like move on to the next one. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I don't have the time to read that. You know, I want to read the one, one or two sentences. Plus, if you can't like 
follow directions, which is pretty much the norm. That doesn't really wrap great. So one of, the, one of the other things we're kind of judging, this is probably speaks to the second question, is how is this person going to come off in a room? If I put them in a room with my friends who are executives all around town, how are they going to represent me, essentially? You know, are they going to be weird? And so if you're someone who can already not do the stand, like, I think it's pretty understood, pretty standard. Criller, hi, John, nice to meet you. Heard your interview. It's really on the blah, blah, blah. Um, I want to pitch you a sci-fi thriller, and then like the, like the log line for it, blank, blank, blank. Let me know if you'd like to read it, you know, best. That's all I need, you know. Um, that, just do that. And then, like, But if you read, like, three pages, I'm like, well, this person clearly has no interest or knowledge of how the industry works. It's, you know, not only am I not going to read it, but that's probably something a, little bit, something a little bit sketchy about that person that they have no interest in kind of learning how the industry works. Also, this is kind of weird. I get this, I get, I keep getting this more recently. People will send me an email be like, hello, do you accept query, le- do you accept, you know, query letters? Right. Please respond. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to respond. <laughs> Definitely not. Like, I'm not going to respond to anyone who asks me a question. Like, just send it or you don't. Right. Um, so in terms of query letters, you know, just keep it simple. You don't need to pitch me. It's, you know, you don't need to tell me. I mean, a lot of times it'll be like, it, it, I guess it's if it won some competitions, that's cool. Or if we got five coverage in the blacklist.com, sure, that's cool. But really, at the end of the day, all that matters is the log line to me, you know. Um, and so in terms of sitting down with people, you know, what I often look for is, more often than not, and I've, I've actually started trying to be direct with people about this before I even sit down with them. Um, you know, if, if I get the sense, because sometimes you'll want to sit, you'll sit down with people and they'll be like, all right, so let's talk about how we're going to take my script out. And more often than not, I would say, let's say I sit down with 10 people. I would say only like one or two of those people do I actually want to work on the actual script that I read. The majority of the time, I like their writing, but I want to talk to them about either an idea that I have or hear about any other ideas that they might have. Because I think they're a talented writer, but I think this script was not necessarily the commercial breakthrough thing that we're going to do, the first script I want to kind of introduce them to the town with. I think sometimes people can be very dispirited by that, which is why I try to tell them in advance so they can kind of prep themselves for the so-called disappointment of that. for that kind of a little bit of what I call the lottery ticket mentality, and I get it because you've been working on the script for a while, but like, you know, you've also been working in a bubble, you know, um, under your own kind of thing. But I think come in and and you know have some other ideas beyond the actual script that we're meeting about. Um, have some ideas for where you want to go in your career. Um, try to be an amenable person. Like I'm just kind of looking at you and being like, okay, is this someone that I can spend the next, you know you know, 5, 10, 15 years working with and talking to on a regular basis. It's just someone who's, to be honest with you, interested in my opinion. Because sometimes you meet with people and they're just not interested in your opinion. They just view you as a delivery system to gain them millions of dollars, you know. And that's not the relationship that I have with my clients. You know, it's like it's an ongoing relationship where I'm listening to them, but they're also listening to me. And I think that's what you want from people is like, they're like, okay, I'm going to, let's build our career. You know, I signed a writer out of LMU. And she was, I sat down with her and I was like, look, I like your pilot, but I don't think I can sell it. Let's develop something new. Pitched her a couple of ideas. She really liked one of them. Um, and so we're working on that. We're developing that. And I'm really excited about that. You know, and she started out of film school, but she had a great attitude. And you know, sometimes you meet people out of film school and they're kind of like, yeah, you know, I'll listen to what you have to say. But I, like, there's a certain idea that they kind of know what they're, what they're talking about, or, which is fine. If that's what they want to do, then I'm definitely not the manager for them. I mean, I don't know if anyone is. Right. Um, but, you know, I think it's a, 
it's a, a collaboration, and you know, not to be blunt, but I've most likely been in the industry longer than than you know most of the writers I'm, I'm initially meeting with have, because they would probably they were already in the industry, they already have a manager, and so I'm not saying that everything I have to say is right, but there is a reason you're giving me ten percent. It's not just to like attach a script to an email and send it out to twenty people, right. you know. Um, and so you're looking for someone who is a collaborator, and you're like, you know, the kind of manager that I am is someone who's very involved with my clients in terms of developing their scripts and figuring out how we're gonna kind of get them out to the world. And some people are interested in that, and, and some people are not. And if you are, then I think you just want to make it clear and, and not just be like a situation where you're looking for a salesman, essentially, you know. Right. And not just collaborative with you, but if they're not collaborative with you, then they probably won't be with, uh, you know, executives and producers and filmmakers and all oh, yeah, that's people that have to be collaborative like, with. I was working with this guy, and he had zero experience in the industry. You know, there's like a saying, and I hope, I, I can see this being offensive, but, you know, which is like, not all writers who are difficult to work with are amateurs, mm -hmm. but most writers who are difficult to work with are amateurs, you know? Right. Oh, sorry, I think I fucked that up. I screwed that up. Uh, I think it's like, not all amateur writers are difficult to work with, but most difficult to work with writers are amateurs. Right, right. And it's a weird thing where you think that people who are more professional would be jerkish, but they're not, you know, because they know, they understand that this is an evolving business, you know, and things kind of, you have to listen to other people's points of view. But a lot of writers, like this one guy I was working with who had no credits and was kind of older, you know, I would say in his 40s, and I, you know, I sat down with him, and he had a pilot that I thought was was pretty good, but needed needed a. I mean, this is like one of the two things, one of the one or two scripts out of ten that I'm like, oh, that can actually redevelop this and, and turn this into something. Um, and working with him, and, and I was like, no, we to, you know, the concept isn't clear in the pilot, and I was. They're like, no, we have to move stuff up into the pilot. He's like, well, that's an episode four thing. I was like, it's not going to be an episode four. <laughs> and he was very insistent that there would be. And so we parted ways there because he, you know, or else I'd be like, hey, do an outline. He's like, well, I rewrote the entire script. I'm like, well, I didn't ask you to do that. I just asked you to write an outline. You know, and so there's definitely a sense of, like, auteurism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, honestly, that's just not how the film industry works for screenwriters. You know, screenwriters don't have a lot of control over their careers. Right. They just don't. And that's not to say that I'm the one who's in control of their careers, but I am trying to prep them for a situation where they're going to get in their room and they're going to be the least powerful person. If you're in a room with a movie star, a director, a studio executive, and the producer, and you're the writer, guess what? You're the least powerful person in there, right. most likely. Right. You know? Because you're the person paid to do a job. Right. You know? To make and, people happy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know? And I think, you know, I was to refer to Chris McQuarrie, who did this amazing interview, which unfortunately Empire Magazine has taken down for whatever reason, and then they revamped their site. But he talks about, like, you have to understand that your job is to make their lives easier. They're not the enemy. They're just people who need help. Right. You know? And I think that's what, as a writer, what I say, and sometimes I don't know if this goes over well, is, like, I actually don't think being a screen editor is, quote-unquote, you're an artist, per se. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, what I would say is I think that you are an artisan or you are a craftsman, essentially, sure. which is you are someone who makes, helps make things, their, you know, would you say that a person who, like, builds a table is an artist? I mean, of a sort, but I would say you're probably their craftsman. They built a great table, you know? And I think that's what you're doing when you're developing things that cost millions and millions and millions of dollars at a minimum to make, then you have to, at a certain point, be practical. You know, a rare that I'm working with, and, um, you know, we're going, we're going to production theoretically in this movie later this year. We just went to, we spent five and a half hours on a script that was originally 121 pages long. We went through it line by line with the director on the line, and we cut out 18 pages of it. Hmm. And we did that 
just by trimming lines, by trimming a couple scenes here and there, but mostly just trimming description, trimming extra dialogue, trimming parentheticals, and basically being like, okay, we have a mandate from the studio to get it down to under 110 pages, and we actually, and like, or even 105 if we we're really good, and we managed to get to 103, which is crazy. Uh, but that was by being really ruthless and being like, okay, do we need this? Yeah, I'm like, so the director was on the line, so there'd be like this description with the shot, and the director's like, okay, you can cut that. I know I, I'm going to use that, but I don't need it written down. Hmm. You know, and so we were just ruthless because we were like, oh, okay, we are, we're trying to get a movie made. That is the goal here. And so at each step in the process, what is my goal? My goal is to get a script sold. My, well, my goal is to get a script read. Then my goal is to get a script sold. Then my goal is to make that, get a script made, essentially. And each goal is kind of like, very clear and defined and I think you have to understand that there are lots and lots of different agendas at play here and those agendas are rarely what does the screenwriter want to do what is their what is their goal what is their agenda those goals are other people's agendas and servicing those is what will allow you to have a long longer term career absolutely not to say that you can't have your a point of view or i mean your whole purpose for being hired hopefully is for your point of view and your 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 ability as a writer that being mm -hmm. said it's to facilitate you know partly their vision as well to incorporate that and come out with the best product not to their you know, write a script so that they can go and make it for you. It's not, that's not the way. It yeah, I mean, you're, that's kind of thing is like you're in, your skills and your point of view are in service of someone else's point of view. Um, you know, a friend of mine is writing a very, very high profile movie with a very high profile director. And, you know, he's like, the director's vision is what we got to, I have to execute that vision. You know, and I can bring my own things to the table, but really it's about executing this person's vision, you know? Yeah. Because they're a huge name. And that's what I have to do what they want to do. And I think that is the truth of it. And I think, you know, so you take that ripple effect from a person working on a massive studio movie, and you kind of pull it all the way back to my first meeting with some writer. It's like, if, can this person get to a point where they can be in a room with this person who is a huge gorilla, the Michael Bays of the world, whoever, and they won't be like, well, no, no, you know, I, I disagree with you, Michael, you're wrong. It's like, no, their job, unfortunately, is to be in the room and be like, Okay, Michael wants us to make sure that we get on the asteroid by page 85. How do we get, how do we accomplish that goal, you know? And so it's problem solving, you know, which by the way, the executive's job, it's everyone else's job as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. And unless you're Woody Allen or Quentin Tarantino. Uh, Directors. That, that hyphen it, that auteur hyphen it. And not even just a writer-director, but a writer-director of that sort of level that has that sort of freedom. You're going to have yeah. to answer to somebody. You're going to have to answer to the executives or the act or the, you know, the lead actor. You're going to have to answer to somebody. There are very few who don't answer to anybody can execute their vision wholly the way they want. So. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And so I think when we boils down to those first few meetings, what we're doing is we're like, can this, this person I, I think can have a longer-term career? Because they're very headstrong and they are not interested in my opinion. Yeah. Probably I'm the first person they've met and they haven't had any success yet. I'm theoretically their manager, which is the person who should be able to have the most control over them or the most influence, shall we say. Right. And they're not listening to me. Uh-oh, that doesn't bode well for when they get in the room with the director or the movie star, right. you know, if that should ever happen, which most likely it will not, you know? 
Right. And, I mean, ideally, you're the person that has their best interests in mind because it's also your interests. And so your critique and your opinions and ideas uh, are not, I don't want to say self-serving, you know, in terms of an actor or a director or a studio, but it, when it comes from that side, they have their own specific agenda, whereas your agenda and your client's agenda should be in sync. Right. I I mean, I always tell clients this and potential clients this. It's very straightforward. I don't make money until my clients make money. The end. My goal is for my clients to make as much money as possible doing what they love, which is writing for film and television. That is it. Honestly, if someone is making a living as a screenwriter, that is a victory. That is a huge victory. I think I'm going to mention this in the podcast, but I heard this somewhere after like the latest WGA numbers came out. But I think one of the, someone on Twitter said this. They said, it's easier to be in the NFL than it is to be a feature screenwriter. There are more people in the NFL than there are working screenwriters per the most recent WGA numbers wow. in, screen, in features, I should say. Right. So think about that. If you're making a living as a feature screenwriter, you're winning, no matter how you're doing it, because that's what you wanted to do. Now, bear in mind that a lot of these people, you know, like, feel like oh, they were kind of, like, being pushed around and, like, all kind of stuff. And, you know, don't get me wrong, it does suck, you know. But the goal that we have is to make you have a living, make you to quit that day job, get you to focus entirely on writing. There will be a whole other host of headaches that come with it. You're going to probably want to become a director at a certain point, all that kind of stuff. But, like, that's the goal. And my goal is for you to make a living because when you make a living, I make a living. Mm -hmm. The end. And so it's not a charity, you know, not to be a jerk, but it's not a charity. My goal is not like, oh, I just want to help this person's vision no matter what, because I need to make a living. I need to pay my rent as well, you know. But the, the goals are, are entirely linked, which is I'm not, you're not paying me a $5,000 fee every month or whatever. I'm not one of, those, one of those kind of weirdo fringe managers. I'm, you know, I don't get paid till you get paid. And so everyone's goals are very much linked, and I think, not just that, but you want to be like, is this person, is this someone that I can believe in and have a longer-term career? Because a big part of being a writer is not just being a talented writer, but it's also being a great collaborator, you know? And that will serve you, honestly, better, I think, in the longer term. There are a lot of writers I can point to who are very successful, who are really, really good at working with, you'll see that particular move, like Chris McQuarrie always works with Tom Cruise, you know? Right. Clearly, gets Tom Cruise in a way that nobody else does, you know? And, like, movie stars and directors will work consistently with the same writers because that person understands their point of view and gets, what, gets the same kind of things that they want to do. So it's all about collaboration, you know? It's about finding the person who understands you. And so I think this all comes out of your kind of, like, what's the initial meeting, which is when you have the initial meeting, is this person who's going to be a good collaborator down the road with people? I think you want to demonstrate that, yeah, I can be in the room, and I can be elastic, and I can, doesn't mean that you have to say yes to every single thing I say, but it should be like improv. It shouldn't be like no. It should be yes and, you know? Or if you don't like what I'm saying, you're like, okay, I don't know about that, but what about this? Because we're all moving towards this common goal. So if I'm like, I don't think we can sell the script, or if I don't know that's the right direction for your career, then you should listen to it and then be like, well, I don't agree with that, but here's, but I've listened to your criticism, so here might be where I think we could go instead, a compromise, as opposed to just being like, no, you're wrong, essentially. Right. <laughs> Which um, does happen, by the way. People just like be like, yeah. flat out, no, I don't think so. And you know what? 
I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm no genius. I don't know everything, but I, I can't point to anyone, to be honest with you. It's only been doing this for a year and a half who has, you know, been like John's an idiot and then gone out and then like sold a script and made me look, sold that script and made me look like a fool. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it'll happen one day though. Maybe. maybe. Definitely. Um, just the rule of, rule of averages. Yeah, no, that's true. But will they have an, a, a long career is the thing, right? Because that's what we're gauging it on. Yeah. Anybody can sell, not anybody, but you know, it can happen to sell a script because like we talked about, it's about the script, not about them as an individual per se. Uh, but having I think a so career, much, I think you have to, you know. I think so much as this industry is about subsuming your ego. Um, you know, it's the same. It's for managers. It's for producers. It's even to some degree for studio execs. You know, right. it's about how do I, how do you know what's best for the project. You know, there's a great. I'd recommend everyone if they haven't already seen it. There's a great. Um, uh, TED Talk that I, one of the Lord and Miller guys does. I think it's I think it's Lord um, does, and he talks about. I think he's talking with Neil Moritz, although he doesn't name him. Uh-huh. He's like one of the Twenty One Jump Street producers, and he says, "My the, my biggest boss is the movie." I think that's the, the, at the end of the day, you have to subsume your ego. Be like, well, look, whatever gets the movie made, especially gets the movie made in a good way, mm-hmm. that is what I have to go for. And this is this is historic. You can go back to um, there's a good book called. Uh, the Disenchanted, that's written by Bud Schulberg, who wrote On the Waterfront. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Bud talks, I think, it's, I think he's talking about working with Faulkner, I want to say, um, or a famous author. They're, all the names are changed, and he talks about just waiting there for a studio executive, waiting to like, get notes, and you know, it's there, it's, you know, it's in a million different things. It's in William Goldman's books, you know, uh, Adventures in the Screen Trade, where he talks about, you know, as a writer, you just have to, at a certain point, you have to kind of like subsume your ego for the good of the, of the project, and it's true for managers, it's true for agents, you know. Sometimes for managers, your job is actually to be yelled at by executives um, to provide cover for your clients. You know, that's a big problem. Part of what your job actually is, is is doing that. So I think for all of us, we have to subsume our ego and and not be like, I'm an artist. If you want to be an artist, just go write books, you know, or, or be a painter. You know, right. those things don't cost very much money, and you can do that, and you can you can do what you want to do and have no limits on it. But I think if you want to make movies, whether as a producer or a manager or an agent or or be in the movie business, I should say, or a writer, you know, the only person who you know, whether it's an executive or a movie star or director. Someone else is going to have final cut. Someone else is going to have final control. Mm-hmm. And you just account your victories where they are. Those victories are all are usually, am I making a living? If I am, that's great. I've, I've, that's, I've made it to the victory. Right. Right. Um, I know you've got to run. Uh, we st- I still have about 50 other questions, so we'll have to have you back on yet again. Um, it's always great chatting with you, John. Thank you so much. I really appreciate com- coming on. It's a great show. Um, and uh, yeah, be sure to check us out on scriptsandscribes.com. And do you have what's your Twitter? Do you have a Twitter? No, you always ask me this, and I always feel bad because I don't. I don't really use Twitter. Right. Uh, the only thing that I really use, and, and I gotta be honest with you, I only use this for uh, for promoting the the company. Is we have a Facebook page for Bellevue Productions, okay. and we also have our own website. Um, and I always tell people, you know, uh, the website. You know, I think we have info at bellevueprods.com. That's the query letter address. If you have a query letter, send it to there. Um, but yeah, just our main website or our Facebook page. Those are the best. Those are where on the Facebook page. And on the websites where we put up uh, all the announcements about our, our talented clients. That's great. And uh, so we'll be sure to info at Bellevue Productions or Prods or Bellevue Prods. Prods. P-R-O-D. There you go. Um, and uh, yeah, so thanks again, John, and thank you for all for listening. And I'm passing the ball. All verses considered like I'm NPR, and we are killing
them, everyone I roll with. Gunning for the top spot, the opposite of hopeless. My flow is the dopest of anyone in showbiz. No more riddling, I'm still so 